Welcome to The Flute and I. Join me, Ashling Agnew, as we explore the unique world of the flute in Northern Ireland. World-renowned players, teachers and makers from a wide variety of musical backgrounds share their experiences and expertise. This episode features the international performer and composer Gareth McLernan. Thank you for chatting to me, Gareth. Well, we've known each other since what? Since we were about nine or ten, maybe? I think so. Whenever I remember you coming into the band, I played in the 39th since I was seven. I think you came in when you were about nine years old. Is that about right? Yeah, so I would have started in 89 in the the September. Then I basically went almost like immediately into the band, which is which is weird again when you think like if you if you imagine like whenever you you start kids playing the flute, and then within three months you're putting them into an ensemble. Yeah, it's that that's quite that would be like a huge deep end for ninety five percent of the students that I've ever taught. I suppose the thing is I played recorder and penny whistle and lots of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So reading music was all fine. That was just part of the way they did it. I mean, I yeah. like really remember my first lesson was basically trying out the piccolo in the Ivy Bar with Billy. And he taught me B, A and G. And the following Wednesday was like, come to the band. It didn't matter because there were so many people, you know, and you just learned how to sort of keep up or keep in time. I think it stopped me from learning how to sight read as well. I think it's because my ear has always been good. And so I, I ended up just playing along rather than actually reading. I didn't really learn to read properly till I was in college. My sight reading was always terrible. And now it's one of the best things that, that I do. Now that it's like, I love sight reading now. It's like, it's, it's like a game. <laughs> but all the way until I was sort of 20 at least, it was just, I was so reliant on just playing along. So did you start the flute with Billy? Was he your first teacher? No, I had Andrine for, for a couple of years, Billy's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she started. We got thoroughly fed up and said that I needed. She said I needed a man to tell tell me off. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then I went, then went to Billy, and even then, but still, while I was still still with Billy, uh, he was sending me for for less than a column as well, which was, you know, transformative, right in very you know, in various different ways. Again, I mean, I've had lessons. I remember having lessons in, in the Ivy Bar, and Billy coming back with his wine glass filled to the brim with pars mm-hmm. whiskey, and saying, "Oh, they like that one." <laughs> I think they approved of Poulenc. Drinking that porridge like it was juice. For years, I thought that was just how people drank whiskey, you know? Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, I remember thinking that's how you, you have whiskey, is in a wine glass filled with brim and down in one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you don't do that during your flute lessons when you're teaching these days, Gareth, no? No, no, not, not, not these days. It's always something to aspire to. And um, tell me a wee bit about, like, obviously you and I had similar enough experience and that we both 
were having lessons with Billy until he died and then uh, were studying more seriously and, and having lessons with Colin and I think he had a big impact on your playing. Yeah, I mean, very much so. You're not so much a student of, of Colin's, it's almost like, like a disciple, I guess. And uh, so it was really sort of an immersive experience with him. I mean, the grounding that I, was, that I got from him is, you know, and, and also such a, a strong schooling in, 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 a, in that certain style. I think the thing with Colin is, is his huge commitment. You know, he has got a, he, he, there's nothing half-hearted about anything he does. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I remember I, there was days when I would be there from 10 in the morning until 10 at night. Yeah, it was, it was certainly had, had a, a lot of influence. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a funny thing where it's something that I'll always be grateful for. But then again, it sort of probably did give me an unrealistic experience of, of, of a teacher that was so committed that, that whenever I went to college, there was probably a, a significant step back in intensity rather than a ramping up, which is what one would expect when you go to, when you go to music college. But, you know, it's all, I think it's all part of um, the tapestry of, of how a, pl- a player develops. I remember very clearly in 2003, I went to, to James Galway's class and I remember he just sort of said, he said, you sound really confused. And I said, well, I, th- I think I probably am. Because at that stage, I, I, I'd just graduated from, from the Guildhall and I'd had four teachers. And so I was, I was being pulled in all these different directions. And, I, you know, you naturally want to please all your teachers. And so having these four different strands and plus all the, the, the influence that I'd had from Colin, it was, you know, there's some, um, but then I think those lines, you can sort of imagine them just sort of gradually over the next few years, just sort of converging. And then along with my own voice, as it were, you know, I, so I do, I, I hope that I've, I've got, I've got a voice that, that takes certain aspects of some players. And, you know, I think that's the, one of the nice things about music is that you can listen to something and go, I like that. I'm going to do that. You can't tell somebody else's joke. You can totally listen to somebody else's colour and go, that's a beautiful way to do that. It's not, it's not going to be the same, but it'll, be, it'll have a certain aspect of it. So I've always enjoyed that. people say imitation is the best form of flattery but you're right I think the flute is so individual that nobody will actually sound like the person it's it's kind of funny when you're saying that like I think back to how many people used to try and sound like James Galway do you remember there was a bit of a fad for, for sure yeah, absolutely <laughs> I mean, it was like that was that was the goal yeah that was the goal I remember when I was 16 and, and somebody in a mask class says you know if you're not careful you're going to end up sounding just like James Galway I was completely thrilled I thought that was the biggest compliment that anyone had, had ever given me but I, I, I think I then realized that it's a bit like an Elvis impersonator and no one ever pays top dollar to hear an Elvis impersonator and, the, and in this case Elvis is still around you know Jimmy's still he's still he's still around he's still playing I sort of thought no, that's probably it's probably better to 
to try and try and find out who I am and what I want to do, rather than sort of to, than, than to copy. I, I will have moments where I'm going to, I'll have a certain bit of phrasing or a little something. And I know that, oh, or I don't know, actually, I would hope that that would be, be Jimmy's stamp of approval. Because I mean, I've, I've hung around with Sir James for, you know, for a, a lot of years, a long time. Yeah, tell me about his influence on you as a player and you've been involved in his course. And we sort of spent a, like a huge amount of time together. I remember in, in London, it was 2013. I think I saw him every single day for over a week. Yeah, it was, it was a, a, a super friend and a huge supporter. I mean, I, I, I was lucky enough, he, he gave me a reference for um, for some scholarship things that I went for after after, after graduating Guildhall, which was really useful. He also um, opened the door for the connections that I have in, in Russia now, which is obviously, it's it's like a, a, it's at the core of a lot of the creative work that, I, that I'm doing at the moment is in Russia. Um, he was with Yuri Bashmet, um, the violist and conductor and sort of Russian music legend at his festival in Sochi. And Yuri asked Jimmy, he said, so I need somebody to teach. There's a, an academy in Samara for a week um, and the kids are between sort of eight and 18. Who, who, do you, who do you think would do a good job? And so Jimmy said me. And so I, had, I, I got a phone call and, and then so went had a ball, learned a bit of Russian before I got there and learned even more Russian while, I'm, while, I, while I was there. You know, introduced flute choir, introduced flute band to Russia, basically, you know, sort of I brought my own music that, that uh, you know, because it's not really something they do. And I brought bass flutes and alto flutes and stuff like that. And uh, just got, kept getting invited back. And I think I've now done, it's over 40 city tours in, in Russia. I love that idea that you have somehow transplanted like the flute bland world of Northern Ireland to Russia. And yeah. uh... I bring it all over, all over the world with me, when, when, you know, because last year was 62 flights and five continents. And the one constant is that I always have problems with my hand baggage because <laughs> I'm always bringing a bass flute and an alto flute. And I've got one of these Quincy Blut Wiseman cases, which is fantastic. So it fits two flutes, piccolo, alto flute and bass flute. Wow, um, and all the stands and everything. So, and it's the size of a violin case, which, which is absolutely it's wonderful. Most of the, the, the classes will be like three days, and at the end of it, I'll play a concert, and also they pick one or two of the best students to also play, and that's the culture there. Whereas I always say, nope, I'm playing, but everyone's playing. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're all playing like flute choir, and so I and I really like that. I, you know, because there are obviously there's some little stars and everything else because the, the, the culture in Russia is to encourage that. But I like, I always like to have a flute choir and also I'm bringing flute choir pieces. So I'm bringing some handle, but I'm also bringing stuff, you know, that I've written, which has got a lot of extent techniques in it. And it's yeah. very um, more commercial styles, commercial rhythms. And so the kids really sort of, they, they really dig it. And the audiences love it as well. Does it give you a good excuse to work on your arrangements and things? Because obviously you've been doing quite a bit of that now. The last number of years is composing and arranging and things as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I like to think of myself as a moving target. A flute player is, is the overarching thing, but it, I, have, I just do so many things that it's sort of with composing and arranging. Obviously, I work with, with flute manufacturers as well and working with that, something I enjoy tremendously. Um, I do my heritage orchestra stuff. I do recording and and then do stuff for computer games and just, I mean, basically, I don't know. I I enjoy the variety. 
you know, and occasionally, you know, I play an orchestra as well. But I remember I was in South Bank Symphonia in 2005. And I remember having a very clear moment. I just, I remember it very clearly. I remember where I was when I sort of thought, I don't think I want to do this all the time. Because my life had been going to be in an orchestra. That's it. I remember just sort of just sitting and going, I mean, this is nice and all, but I'm just, I don't think I could, I couldn't do this for forever, forever more. I don't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really love doing it every so often. And I still do really love doing it every so often. And I think probably because I don't do it quite as often, then, I, then I'll be further down the list, I suppose, which I, I understand. And also, I think occasionally I feel guilt as well. Mm-hmm. If I am asked to do some 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 nice works, I sort of think, well, maybe you should like this should go to somebody who's mm-hmm. you know this, they're tunnel visioned. And they, this is what they want to do, and this is all they can. This is all they want to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, this is just lovely, and I'm just enjoying myself and having a very nice time. But I don't need this work, you know. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Whereas they need it, and I, you know, I think I'm probably booked proportionally to that. You know, Heritage Orchestra has been my has been my orchestra for over ten years now. That's I've been first called for that, which is lovely, really interesting. Absolutely, my bag with just all sorts of alternative stuff and working with hip hop artists and jazz and you know it's 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 really really cool. So yeah, so that's that's my sort of mainstay. But you're you're very right to say about um, you know the variety being key because I think some people are drawn to that, whereas others are are very driven to one particular aspect of a career. Um, you have to play to your strengths as well. Would you say there's like any types of projects or, or, or gigs even that you haven't done yet that you'd really love to to do? I always love recording and I, so I'm, I am doing it. I, I actually just did that last, um, the, that really hammy movie that just that just got launched, uh, Wild Mountain Time <laughs> with all the, uh, with the, with the, the, the Irish, Irish accents. Brilliant. So yeah, so I, I'm, the, I'm the flute player on, on, on that movie. Well, I mean, it was, it was, it was a gorgeous score and I just had an absolute ball, you know, and it's just sort of, I can never get enough of recording because that's just I re- I just really enjoy that. So that's something I'd, I'd I'd like to do more. But it's interesting. My my ex wife, who I we still are the best of friends. She's a flute player as well, and but she would ordinarily be playing Les Mis eight times a week. And that and for her, it's just like it's almost it's almost like sort of therapeutic. I know she has her she's I know she's she's had her had her moments, but sort of you know I think just the aspect of you begin the show at 7.30 and you finish the show at 10.24 and it's done. And it's, you, you've, it's, it's, an, it's almost like an achievement for the day where it's just like, that is it. It's a certain amount of time and it's dedicated and it's done as opposed to this slightly more ephemeral thing where I'm sort of thinking, oh, I should really start that piece. I need to write that piece for that thing that I'm doing in February. And I'm thinking that now because that's literally what I have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm playing at the Sochi Festival in February um, it's me and, and Max Rubstoff. We're going to do a duet with or- with orchestra, and I haven't written it yet. So there's that, you know, because and there's and then once that's done, then there's always the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. With, whenever you do have these shows, everything is quite. It's, it's a discrete amount of time, and it's dedicated to doing work, and you do that work to the best of your pos- your, your your ability, and then you forget, then you forget about it until the next night. After three of them, I am ready to jump off something high. I, I, you know, if I do that, because I, I, I used to dep a lot in, 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 the, in the West End. I, I, I love going in once, twice a week or something like that, but any more than that, and I just get so bored. Yeah. Tell me a wee bit about your work that you do. I know you 
were involved with Pearl Flutes before and you work with Haynes now. Yeah. Well, it was that thing of, it, it sort of came at the same time as where I, I had thought to myself, right, I don't want to pursue this orchestral career that I had been looking at. It's funny, it's disheartening in certain areas as well, because like I talking to my old teachers from the Guildhall and things, and they're, they would have said, you know, we were sort of expecting you to be sat in a principal chair somewhere, you know, and that, and that sort of thing. And, and I don't like to disappoint. Obviously, you'd never want to disappoint people who you, you respect and admire. But I don't know. I just I, I, I got to a point and I was just like, no, I, I don't think I want to do this. And so at the same time, Pearl were looking for somebody to be their flute specialist for, for, for Europe. Pearl Music Europe had just started. And I remember very clearly it was Andy Thompson from Topwind. And he said to me, I have got an idea for you and you won't want to do it. I said, well, really? He said, he said, he said but I think you should give it a try and then to see how it goes. So it was working with this Japanese company and being a, an artist for them and, and you know, and just generally working with specialist dealers and working with other artists and organizing flute events and a lot, a lot of sort of stuff. So that's, that's what that was with, with, with Pearl. And I had, it was, it was interesting and I had happy enough times. I think I, I, I sort of, I went about as far as I could go with them and there were some personality clashes and everything else. I remember a very specific meeting when I was with, with the guys at Pearl and I was just and I was just looking around the room going, I think I'm in the wrong room. <laughs> and then I remember having another moment, exact same moment, when I was when I first arrived in Boston at Haynes. And I looked around the room and I was just like, I'm in the right room. I'm just looking around the people who were there who are all just like like just leading experts in everything they do. And I, there's things I could learn from, and I was just like, this feels like the right room. Tried Haynes flute back into 20, 2008, 2009, and they were fine. I wasn't, I wasn't desperately enamoured to be honest, and I had I hadn't tried them before because they'd basically been absent from Europe. And then Jimmy had one and said, "Here, try this." So I tried this flute and I was like, well, "That's really good." I, I said, "If all flute companies made flutes like they make them for you, then the world would be great." But that's not the case. So they've made this for you, and he says, "No, no, no. They're all playing like they're all playing like this." And I was like, I just don't believe you. So I sort of put that behind me. And then in 2012, I tried Jürgen Franz's um, flute. And I was just like, this was the best flute I'd ever tried. And I called Jonathan Mile in Just Flutes. I remember calling him and said, I've just tried the best flute I've ever tried. And I don't know what to do about it. And it was really just, it was one of those instruments, just, it was nagging away. And then so, so eventually sort of came to 2014 and I sort of decided to really sort of do something about it because it was still nagging away at me and I still want, and, and then and at that stage, um, I was at the Adams Flute Festival in Holland in the April. And I was, again, I just spent all my time. I was there with Pearl, but I spent all my time at the Haynes table just trying these flutes. And I was just like, no, I really have to do something with this. So I was in Boston in June. I had to meet with the owner of the company. And I'd, I'd then left Pearl by the end of August and was working with Haynes from the beginning of September. Mm -hmm. And um, haven't really looked back. It's been 
been great. I've got, you know, a beautiful instrument. I've just ordered another one. So I've just, I've, so I've, I bought my, my beautiful gold one. I've just, I've just ordered another because I, I, I need to be able to send my gold one back to get serviced every so often. And so I need, I don't know, I can't be not having a flute clown. So this is going to be one of the, they, they've got an alloy, which is um, silver and 5% gold. It's, it, it's super sound. It's very interesting, very different to gold. It's got a lot of depth. And tell me about your other flutes, because you play, obviously, alto, bass and contrabass, isn't that right? Yeah, last count, I probably got about 40 flutes in the house, at least. Because I've just got tons of ethnic flutes as well, because I'll be playing on, on the Lion King and, and, and both in the West End and on tours. And yeah, I've just always been blowing on bits of wood. Again, that's the thing. I've been blowing on penny whistles since I was six. So that, that was always very comfortable to be sliding around, um, as I'm sure it is for, you, for yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah, but I, so my, my alto flute is a, a Haynes Amadeus one, which is bonkers good flute. So I've got an Amadeus alto, I've got, um, and then Kingma, bass and contrabass. That, that all stemmed from meeting with Ava at uh, Jimmy's class in Switzerland, which I've, I went to for years and years. My head flashed back to you playing the contra, actually, when... when yeah, when well, that was funny. It was always, even in junior band, it's like, here, you're big. So I was always given low flutes. I've been playing low flutes almost as long as I've been playing flute. And I've been playing contrabass since I was 16. I was in top wind, and somebody came in, and I would have been about 30, I suppose, at the time. When I was, and somebody came in and asked about contrabass flutes. And the guy at the top said, well, you know, we've got one of the most experienced contrabass flute players on the planet in, in, in the room here. And I was looking wrong, going, <laughs> and they're like, it's you. And I was like, oh, just by dint of the very fact that there was one around in, you yeah. know, in 1996. So I've been playing them for a very long time. And then obviously I've, I've now, you know, I've got a sound library um, with Sonic Cinema. They've, they've, they've sampled me literally half to death. <laughs> I was... I was eight hours in a recording studio making playing every single possible sound on, the, on a contrabass flute so i've made it i made a sound library for them uh played on alien movies and soundtracks and all sorts with with, with, with contrabass so that's been that's been lots of fun and the bass flute ava's bass flutes they're they're day ruining instruments because as soon as you play it you're just like oh i don't need one of these i don't need one but that's so good. i mean it's just like I've, I need one of these in my life. Abby, at, at the time, she was just like, what are you doing? You don't, you've got a bass, but you don't need one. I was like, yeah, but it's so good. And then she tried it. It was like, no, you're right. It's, it, it spoils every other bass flute for you forevermore. Um, and the scale is great, and the attack is amazing, and the projection is ridiculous. It's just, I mean, it's, like, it's flawless. So, yeah, very pleased with that. Have you ever been tempted by her quarter tone flutes? I want to get one, but at the moment they're, they're, they're too pricey for, for, for me. I totally see the people who want to use them and I can see, understand why they want to use them. But I think part of the joy of the flute for me is the utter simplicity of the mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's not a clarinet, that you've got, you know, six, seven different buttons for your little finger. And it's not a bassoon where, I mean, that's always what I thought was funny with people. They're like, oh no, it's, it's in line. I can't play it. You're like, like you do realize that a bassoonist has got nine keys for his left thumb <laughs> and yet you're literally complaining about half a centimeter mm-hmm. i mean literally there's nothing in it and you're like no it's impossible and you're like but but i think that i think so flute players are, are sort of spoiled in that in that way that it is such a simple mechanism it's one key per finger movement like for most of the instrument the, the right hand pinky gets a raw deal you know but like by and large it is it's yeah yeah it's a very very simple mechanism and that's i think that's part of the joy in it 
Um, and the fact that you can get a lot of the quarter tones already in the existing mechanism. And that all the extra buttons are like, wow, but also like, oof, oh, I, I mean, I, I sort of get overwhelmed by it. I can understand that, yeah. I agree with you because, I mean, obviously I do play a lot of contemporary music, but I manage well with quarter tones on a conventional system flute. I suppose the priorities are where you kind of are willing to part with your cash. For me, the priority is sound. I think also it's just like, because in the same way that Baroque players used to sort of, you know, if they were playing, if they're, if they're, if they're you know, traversal players, if they were playing an E flat major or something, there'd be a big deal about it because then, and, and the color of the A flats and the B flats are really, there's something very different to them that actually, so it's not, you don't have that evenness that, like, that you have whenever you're in D major or G major. When you're in E flat, there's, it sounds like an uncomfortable thing and there's uncomfortable colors and there's difficulties and there's intonation problems that sort of almost give a certain character to the, the music. And the same way, there's something whenever you're doing a quarter tone on a bone flute, the fact that it's an, a non-standard fingering and it colors the note in a certain way, mm-hmm. almost gives it a, its own little character. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're on a Kingma system, it sounds almost like too even, it sounds, and so you don't actually sort of get the sort of, the sort of, oh, that's, that's, not that's not normal that's yeah. you know and so it's so it's, it's normalizing quarter tones i guess maybe maybe this is just a step in the development and maybe this maybe the king system is the future but i think it's it's difficult it feels like an, an uphill struggle yeah, yeah. It's, it's the discomfort and it's the clash and it's it's what's going on with at the same time as that quarter tone and yeah and if it's if it's almost if it's too easy i remember like they're talking to um I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying it was um, Sebastian Jaco, who who plays on a on a, on a not even an old wooden Haynes, it's like a more modern wooden Haynes uh, from the 1990s. It was developed with with Jacques Zoon. and I remember he he tried uh, a Haynes, a modern silver instrument, mm-hmm. and he just came back and said it's it's all just it's too easy. He 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 enjoys having to fight, having to struggle a little bit, because he said that, that it draws something more out of him. Yeah. Um, whenever, because, you know, because this isn't, you know, the wooden Haynes is not, as, it's not as responsive, it's not as immediate, um, it's, it's more difficult to play, but he gets more artistry from that, the very fact that he's got to struggle. Mm-hmm. Yet whenever something's just laid out for him, he, he wasn't enjoying it. He wasn't feeling like he was really working for, for the results. So I think that's another, that's another thing where, you audiences sort of want to if they, if they do maybe they do want to, they want to hear the struggle a little bit i think flute players do as well i think once you get to a certain level it's not about just how easy it is it's about what can you do with it well that's i mean, I mean I've, I've said that many times about the head joints that the, the head joints that are coming out of hands at the moment is, is that it's not an easy head joint to play you have to work for it but it's the most interesting and the most, and because and, that was, just, I remember sort of thinking like, because you want something that's just easy and even and smooth and good in the top and good in the bottom and plays quiet and plays loud. And that's you sort of looking for all those. And then suddenly whenever I had these these head joints from Haynes and I was able to work directly with the maker and it's just like, you're getting something that's inspiring, something that's challenging. So you feel like the head joints sort of go, what about like this color? Mm-hmm. And I've never had, I never sort of felt like an instrument would challenge me to play in a different way. And 
it sort of gives me, I mean, like in, in concerts especially, it makes me take 10 times more risks. Mm-hmm. And I'll just go, well, like, you know, let's see if I could, I'm going to play this and I'm just going to just, let's see, let's try five, six Ps. <laughs> let's just like, just see, let's see what happens. And like, I'd say nine and a half times out of 10, my flute sort of digs me out and just says, okay, fine. All right, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's been Gareth Davis's experience as well. He said he, he, he just takes... 10 times more risks. And I remember I was, I was um, watching LSO play Mallor 9. And in one, in that one first movement, you know, he's, he's got that, you've got that, the, the, the big solo in Mallor 9. And he, he played it as loud as I've ever heard any flute play in my entire life. Just, just furiously enormous. And then also at the end of that movement, he was playing, and it, 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 there was like, you know, two and a half thousand people in, in the audience. And no one could breathe. Mm-hmm. No one could breathe because he was just, just the what he had taken it down to the level where you're just going, that is like ballsy play. That's just, you're taking a risk there. This is being recorded for TV. It's Bernard Hightink. It's, you know, and, he, and he's just, I'm just coming down to, just to almost not playing at all. And so that was, um, you know, obviously that's a, that's a fantastic player, but I know for a fact that he, he's had the same feelings yeah. where he's just, he's being challenged to play in a more extreme way mm-hmm. by the instrument. One thing that uh, struck me was just the last time we met was at a concert, which I know you said was a year ago, Gareth, but I, I, I'm pretty certain it was two years ago in the Ulster Hall. Yeah, time flies. I can't believe it was, it was two years ago. I thought it was one year ago. Yeah, yeah, it was actually two years ago, and we were playing for the for the Ulster Youth Orchestra reunion, which was lovely, lovely to see old faces and all. But you'd said to me that night that it was like your first time playing at home for a really long time, actually. Yeah, I mean, I I, I remember I said I said to you that I've played more concerts in the mid Ural city of Yekaterinburg in Russia in the like since 2013 than I have in the whole of Ireland in the last. 20 years. Mm-hmm. I just don't seem to work in Ireland at all. Um, I don't quite know why. I mean, like, so like last year, I was seven weeks in Russia, mm-hmm. you know, with, with classes and concerts. This, this year already, I've been over a month in Russia. And then next year, I'm already booked to go. But uh, yeah, I just don't really seem to do much in, in Ireland or Northern Ireland at all, um, which is a pity because, you know, it's sort of, it would be nice to come back and do more and also see my folks as well. I, I have a feeling that, 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 that you either get embraced back to where you, to where you grew up or you, or, you, or you just don't. Do you feel like it's something that's within your own control? Because, I mean, obviously it's not held you back in any sort of way. You've been busy working all around the world for the last 20 years. It's not reflective of your career, but... Do you, do you think maybe had you sought out more opportunities that that would be something you're doing or maybe you will in the future? I guess so, yeah. I mean, I've been very fortunate that most of the things, I don't sort of go after things in general. I'll nudge a certain way at something and then and then it'll either happen or it doesn't. I'm not, I'm not one of these sort of, again, simply because I've got so many plates spinning all the time, I don't have that tunnel visioned aspect. The only sort of constant in all of the things is just the instrument is, is working on the flute or flutes, you know, and, you know, and the, and the composing stuff is, you know, everything just, it just sort of happened 
I mean, it's fun. I've got a, I've got an open invitation to write a, fl- a flute and strings piece to be played by the Moscow soloists. And they've just said, you know, when, when you've got a piece, we'll play it. And I'm just like, but my music is ter- like my music is terrible. It's very, it's just so commercial and very cheap music. But the funny thing is that I realised that generally musicians enjoy playing it. Amateurs love playing it. Mm-hmm. Audiences also really enjoy listening to it. But composers hate it. <laughs> They think it's crap. I mean, you know, in a certain way, it, it, it's not serious music. So I've, uh, that's why I've had this, in, this invitation to write something, but I just feel completely inadequate to write something for this Rolls Royce of an ensemble mm-hmm. when I'm basically, you know, an Uber <laughs> composer. <laughs> um, I mean, because I only ever wrote something because, because I mean, I was taught by Ian Clark and I, w- I went to do a flute day in Norwich and I brought Walk Like This. I was invited back the next year. I brought Zig Zag Zoo. And then I was invited back the third year. And I was like, well, what did you know? That's all, I, you know. And so I wrote, so I wrote something of my, of, of my own, which is, you know, like very juvenile, rocky, sort of contemporary, not contemporary, commercial sort of style, music and rhythms. But everyone loves it. The last premiere that I did was in Australia uh, last year. It was a flute choir of 130. My the piece is called Edge Effect. And the flute choir, they love playing it. They love learning it. I was having a ball. The audience, they I absolutely love that you can hear the response. And yet I remember there was a composer there. And I remember I said to them, I said, did you like it? And they went, no, not really. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, right, okay. And he said, it'll, it'll, it'll probably sell quite well. I said, I mean, it has. I had to get, had to get it again. I was like, yeah, I've sold out. You know, I'm just, I'm just like, yeah. So I don't know, I write popular stuff. I, I enjoy it. I was like, oh, this is cool. I love that, you know. And I don't know why I'm trying to seek verification from real composers in inverted commas. That's the other thing is that, is that my music isn't played here either. It's never played, it never played in Northern Ireland. Yet, Gareth, yet. Well, I don't know, it's, I've written, I mean, I wrote my first, my first piece in 2010, so it's been 10 years. Okay. And still has, it's never been, never been played over here. I don't know, I suppose it doesn't have any G, G trebles in, in it. I want to I buy a G treble. It's very difficult to find a good G treble around. I really want to buy one. I really want to say that's because they don't exist. Well, no, there were some of those, there were some Willie Simmons ones and some Mike Allen ones, which, are, which were which were pretty nifty instruments. And the desperately sad thing is just they've probably sat in somebody's cupboard or somebody sat under the stairs somewhere, not being played. So um, yeah, anybody out there in podcast flute nerdland, uh, if you've got one that's sitting, <laughs> sitting in a cupboard. So yeah, because again, it's just, I, I got an E flat flute. I was at NFA in 2014 in Chicago and um, Gemeinhardt, they just found two of these E flat soprano flutes. Um, they were renovating an office or something. And they moved something and it was behind a filing cabinet or something. And so they were brand new, but 40 years old. Wow. So I literally, I lifted it and said, whatever it is, I'm buying it. So <laughs> I'm just like, because you, you just, you don't see them. Although there's, there's a, a maker now in Indiana who's making them. 
mm-hmm. Brian Bertram, he's, he's making E-flat flutes and also B-flat flutes as well. Then there was something about the, also just the character about this, this, this Gemeinhardt. Heart. And I've actually played it in recording sessions. So I, I was doing a, a soundtrack with Philip Selway from Radiohead, and he just told me to bring everything. And it was one of those sessions where he'd written some skeleton, skeleton bits and then just had me sort of improvise around them and just do other other sort of stuff. So it was a really, it was a nice process. It was a, a, full, a full day of, of, of working, putting some contrabass stuff on there, but then I got the E flat flute out and it was, and just the, whatever the tone color, it's sort of, you can't quite place it. It's definitely mm-hmm. not a piccolo, it's definitely not a regular flute, but it's just sort of got this sort of color. My little mini collection of Willie Simmons whistles are just like some of my most prized possessions. There are there's instruments that I would love to have. One of them is like is that um, Lopatin, the you know the square tone hole ones as well. Oh I'd yeah, love mm-hmm. yeah. I have one of those, but again, it's just the price is just like. So yeah, for me, well, maybe one day. It sounds to me like your collection is doing pretty well already as it stands. So. Flute nerd. Well, it's been very fascinating to talk to this expert flute nerd. Thank you so much. It's been it's been lovely. Join me next time when I'll be speaking to the well-known Irish traditional flautist and teacher, Tara Bingham.